Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, this is Jason Grigla with the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you have not been to our website, jasondebbie.com, maybe you ought to check that out, especially the link to click on free parenting videos that Debbie put out. And they are three excellent, specific, and effective perspectives, points, and tools to help you parent more confidently. And I think they're practical, um, great advice. So all you have to do is go to the website and click on the, the link on the homepage that says Start Parenting Confidently. And she will send out links to those three free videos that I think are a great asset um, to anyone who wants to be a better parent. So today I'm going to be talking about, well, several different things, but one topic in general. And I want to go back to about a year ago, two of my mentor employees that happened to be married had a baby. And over the last year, that baby has grown. And I have watched that baby go from laying on its back to turning over and then learning to roll, to lifting its head, to pushing himself up on his hands, to doing an army crawl, to actually crawling. And the fun thing over the last probably two, two and a half months was when this little boy was really, really wanting to engage and touch things and play with things, but he really, really didn't want to have to get up and walk. And so there was this internal struggle that you could see just going on inside his little head where he would he would reach for something, but he couldn't get it. So he would cry and, and he would look at mom as if to say, get it for me, get it for me. And sometimes, you know, one of us would grab what he wanted and give it to him. And other times you'd say, you can get it, just push yourself up and you can get it. And sometimes he would cry and, and throw down on the ground and be defeated. And other times he would stand up and, and reach for the thing and get it. And when he did, finally stand up and grab something, the smile that was on his face lit up the whole room and he knew that he was awesome and he knew he had done something great and he looked he looked up so proud to show off what he had gotten on his own. And then it came time to walk to get something instead of just stand up and the same thing. If, if he wanted something, we would put him down to help him learn how to walk and he would cry and want back up for us to hold him. But then he would reach out and want us to take him to what he wanted. And sometimes we would give in and other times we would force him to get down and walk and he would cry and throw down on the ground and, and quit. Or sometimes he would just flop down and crawl over and get what he wanted. And then other times because he was sick of crawling and over the last month, I guess, instead of crawling, he would just start to walk and get it on his own. And the only thing 
that was strong enough to create the only thing that was strong enough to help this little boy walk was that he was more uncomfortable not getting the thing that he wanted by walking than he was comfortable just staying where he was at and so the discomfort had to outweigh the comfortable for him to get up and do something that was hard it would have been so much easier just to sit down and never learn how to walk because it took him practically the whole year of his life to get to a place physically where he could have the skills and the muscles and the wherewithal and the brain neural pathways for him to start walking and it is hard to change neural pathways and to grow and that learning leap for a child that's a baby to one years old we all as adults sit there and watch and think buddy you're gonna be fine you feel like it's the end of the world you're crying you're throwing a temper tantrum it feels like it's the end of the world when you're one and you don't get what you want but we as adults knowing the big picture and seeing the perspective that we have we just kind of smile and say it's okay you can get it and we allow them to go through the discomfort of forcing them to get the thing that they want instead of giving them what they want and that's what I want to talk about today because that development situation never changes the only thing that creates change in us as individuals is that we have to be uncomfortable enough where we're at that we're willing to go out of our way and do hard things to get what we want and one of the things uh, it reminded me of was when I went through a sales boot camp probably 20 years ago when I thought I was going to be selling for a career um, they the first thing they taught us is that our job is to make the customer or client so uncomfortable without the item you're selling that they can't live without it and so our job is to create a scenario where they they must have the thing that we're that we're selling and it's our job to figure out how to create the environment that the person we give them enough information enough perspective um, and use every trick in the book to get them to want to buy the thing that we're selling and in a lot of ways that's pretty healthy because we're not forcing them we're not making them we're not threatening them um, but we want them to be the owner of the decision to buy the thing that we want them to buy so when we talk about our muscle in our body the only way muscle grows is for it to stretch and even tear to regrow bigger and the only way for our bones to grow is for us to use them on a lot of gravity so that the bones know to respond and grow bigger and stronger and the only way for our brain to actually grow is that there needs to be a situation that puts our brain into a chemically induced stressed place not overwhelmed but chemical stressors that go into our brain and force neural pathways to grow in new ways that they haven't grown before or in stronger ways and we are required um, to have those chemicals released so that something actually changes 
Now, I'm not talking about crises. That's a different scenario, but I will I will discuss that in a minute. And that's where the balancing act comes in that I'm talking about. The balance between comfortably stuck, which ultimately equates to comfortably miserable, or out of your comfort zone and growing, which is the middle place and the and the, where we want to be with periods of recuperation and and even enjoyment in between interspersed with the growth and development. But then the third is the crises of being overwhelmed and in a crisis state. So in parenting or mentoring, our job isn't to keep our kids comfortable. If the parents of this one-year-old had simply always carried the child around everywhere he went, given him everything he wanted, and maybe we know people who've done this, um, the child may never learn to, well, they always learn to walk because eventually, no matter what we do, I think they eventually want it bad enough that they learn to walk. But I think we've all seen um, maybe the youngest kid in a family who gets carried by all of his older siblings around, they learn to walk later. Or if people always answer the questions for the toddler, the toddler doesn't learn how to talk for themselves for a long time and they just learn to not have to do it. So as parents, our job isn't to create a comfortable place, but a safe place. Um, I, I like the statement that our job as parents is to give our children roots and wings. Roots meaning a deep relationship, attachment, foundation, which only comes from time together and experiences together. And then that relationship from you to them actually builds their relationship with themselves, so that they like who they are and they believe, believe in themselves. And the, the roots deepen so that they believe they can do great things and then fly. And the flying isn't something we have much to do with. It's on their own. It's, it's what they choose to do and who they choose to become. Um, but if someone we are mentoring or helping influence, um, we're helping to influence their lives, if they never get pushed, they'll never have what it takes to be ready to leap out of the comfort and security of a nest and to take that metaphor another step, imagine parents who never um, push their child to help them be uncomfortable, and then suddenly they turn 18 or 19 and they push them out of the nest, even though their wings have never been flapped. They've never been told that they're going to need to fly. They've never been explained to that they're going to need to create their own nest someday. It, it just doesn't work. Um, and so pushing them is the art. Um, so there's three, three ways that, that kids tend to leave their homes. One is they leave as soon as possible because home is crap. You know, home is a, a bad place for them. They don't like it. They don't like the parents or they don't like their siblings or for whatever reason, home is hell and they want to get out of there. And so they leave whether they're ready or not. But the, the discomfort of staying is greater than the discomfort of leaving. And number two, maybe they get kicked out of their home by the the people who own the home or the parents because they they don't want to leave and they don't have any self-belief or confidence. Maybe they're afraid. Um, maybe they don't dream or risk or try. And so the parents kick them out of the nest. And that doesn't usually work in this day and age because baby birds who get kicked out of the nest flop to the ground and can't fly and they get eaten by the snakes. And so they if they aren't ready, then they aren't ready. Um, so that's not a really healthy way to go. 
And the third reason, and the healthy reason why they leave, is because they they love their home and they want to be more. And they want to stand on their parents' shoulders and grow taller or stand taller. They want to accomplish great things. They want to be more than they can be at home. And so they're willing to do hard things. And they're resilient enough um, to handle that. So doing hard things is really important as long as it doesn't turn into becoming overwhelmed. I want to talk about neurodiversity and the brain and being overwhelmed for neurodiverse brains is an easy thing to experience. Number one, they have normal life experiences that we all have, traumas, abuses, neglects, that is hard to bounce back from. Those with neurodiverse brains tend to have less ability to cope with and deal with hard things, um, less insight, more rigidity, um, a greater fight or flight situation in their brain usually takes over. And so they don't handle normal life problems really well. And if you add to that, the fact that because they're neurodiverse, they actually also get more traumas, abuses, or neglects. They don't get their needs met as well. Maybe they're made fun of, abused. Um, I know that the, um, the child in an abusive home that was autistic took all of the abuse because they were the hardest child. And so they took the brunt of all the physical abuse. Not only do they have a hard time dealing with normal life crap, they actually tend to have more life crap or even perceive normal things like being teased as being abused verbally because they're not getting the nuance. And so it reminds me of the metaphor of the reed and the mighty oak, where when the storm comes and the mighty oak says, I, I will not bend, I am powerful, I am strong, and they don't bow or flex to the wind, and the wind eventually blows them over and uproots the tree and it dies. But the reed, being flexible and wise, bends to the wind, and as the wind howls and screams, it doesn't break because the reed flexes and moves with it. And I think neurodiverse brains have a really hard time being flexible reeds in the wind. Um, if you've ever given an animal a shot or seen a dog, for example, get a shot, then you see what they do when, it, when the shot occurs, they feel the pain and the dog almost always freezes. They just, they just hold still. They don't know what's happening. So they don't move and they go into a fight or flight mode. That's paralysis. And I think that's really common with neurodiverse brains is a lot of things feel like something is wrong. Something is really bad and, and maybe they're right. Um, but oftentimes either way, they're in a fight or flight mode. So one of the things um, that I was thinking about the other day with my students is the parents were having such a hard time with us at our school, asking them to let us help their child do hard things. We specifically were asking for them to cut off money so that they would need to get a job because without the need for money, they would never risk doing something hard like getting a job or interviewing for a job or not having money to buy what they wanted. And the only way for them to grow would be to, and this is a very common scenario with young adults. The only way that these neurodiverse young adults often learn, not the only way, but often it's the case, unless there's a need to learn it, they're not going to learn it. They don't learn because they might need it someday. They don't learn 
um, a topic to get a good grade by the end of the semester. It's really hard for them to learn a subject they're not interested in just to show that they can get through the class. And that's why a lot of them fail out of classes. Uh, but anyway, the, the goal here was to get the student to want to get a job when the reality is who wants to get a job? Nobody wants to get a job. I don't want to have a job. I want the paycheck and I might as well do a job that I enjoy and that is meaningful if I'm going to do something that many hours each week. But ultimately, I love my family and my family's the priority and I need the paycheck for them. It's not because I love money. It's because I love my family. So having these students want to get a job requires them to be uncomfortable without one, which means, you know, no money. They need they need to want things with money more than they need to want to sit and not work. The problem is the parents had watched and many parents have watched their children go through so many hard things in their life that it's a little PTSD and it's hard to say, yeah, go ahead, you know, make them do hard things. That's what they need. You know, some parents are real tough love oriented and we're like, well, let's, let's do the tough love thing, but keep the relationship in place because it is still love when you call it tough love. Tough love doesn't mean you become a jerk and cold and, and um, reject them if they don't do what you want. It means I love you so much and this is going to be hard and I'm going to hold you while they give you the shot and I'm not going to leave you, but you can do it and I can't do it for you. You know, that's tough love. Anyway, so the parents watch their kids go through so many hard things that they don't want their child to have to experience anything else hard. And I totally understand that and I get that. And at some point, our job is to help them develop more than be comfortable. Development only comes through someone getting out of their comfort zone, but not overwhelmed. And so that is one of our key mottos or slogans at Techie for Life is that we want our students to always be out of their comfort zone, but not overwhelmed. And sometimes we don't know everything that's going on and, and we set up a situation where they do get overwhelmed and then come to find out, they didn't tell us about a uh, an assignment they forgot to turn in and they kind of washed over it and we're all going on a camp out, but there's a homework assignment due at midnight and they didn't tell us because they avoided it. And now they're freaking out about going on a camp out. They're totally overwhelmed and we're like, what's really going on here? What's the real reason? Um, and there's usually, there usually is a reason uh, not to ever overreact, but oftentimes overreaction is the case. Uh, but this this balance between being stuck and overwhelmed, the middle place of being out of your comfort zone and growing and developing, but not overwhelmed, it's an art. It's not a science. So if we push them too hard, it means anxiety, paralysis, and freak out. We don't push them at all. It means emptiness, numbness, stagnation, and ultimately depression. So that's where you get the two extremes. The anxiety is the overwhelmed and the depression is the stuck nothingness. And our job is to find the middle place. So in the middle or the sweet spot, there's always there always does need to be some recuperation. We have four or five breaks throughout the school year where we want our students to not have to do a strict schedule. We want them to have a time to recuperate. Yes, we know that they're going to video game 14 to 20 hours a day if we let them. And, and sometimes we do. Sometimes it's their break and they're adults and they can choose what they want. And we know that it's going to be a hard week when they have to come back from the break. 
but they also needed the break to recuperate. The brain needs to refuel and stop from being pushed so that they don't get overwhelmed. They need to go home and have relationships with their family. So there's a lot of reasons to take breaks and to recuperate. Um, the brain itself is very reactive. It's not proactive. What that means is the brain only grows when it perceives a need to change and the environment creates the need to change. For the little boy that was learning to walk, that ice cream on the table was worth pushing himself up for. So the brain decided he was that it was willing to do it. And after practicing getting up and walking probably a thousand times, it was no longer a crisis. It was just walking and it was natural and it was normal. And we knew he would get there. Um, and so we didn't freak out about it. But the parents that we asked to let their child go through some hard things, um, even for ourselves, when we say, hey, it is a hard thing and it's okay. You know, withholding food for me is a hard thing. I'm an emotional eater. And yet I know it's good for me. And sometimes I can choose to not eat the extra bowl of ice cream or cold cereal late at night. And other times I'm like, I just, I'm just going to do it because I'm, I'm, I want to be comfortable. Um, we all have our weak areas. So the problem with our brain being reactive is if we aren't growing it, if we aren't doing something to build it, it's actually regressing. There's no such thing as hitting plateaus with our brain growth. We're always backsliding slowly. Our brain is actually deteriorating or growing. And actually, it's interesting because we, we hit the most amount of neurons in our brain in our early 20s. That doesn't make us wise, but it means we literally have more brain matter um, than any other time in our life. And so from early 20s, it is downhill, but our wisdom and experience ends up making up more than the amount of neurons in our brain. So um, what we want to do is create an environment where they're willing to change. There has to be buy-in. Getting them out of their comfort zone without buy-in puts them very quickly into a crisis state. And if they're, if they're not going to do it themselves, but they're willing to do it for us because of a relationship that we built, if they're willing to do it because um, we have bribed them or punished them or reasoned with them or coaxed them, maybe we've used our relationship of influence, uh, maybe we've just had enough examples and exposure that they've seen it happen, the, the hard things, they've watched them occur, and so they're willing to try it. All of those are great ways to influence someone to get out of their comfort zone and try something new. Um, I like bribes. I think there's nothing wrong with bribes. Ultimately, though, the bribe can't be the only reason, but it might be a good primer. Um, once in a while, we pull out the barbs or the or the consequence. You know, you, we say you don't you don't have to be here in the morning by eight, and if you're not here at eight, your phone will get turned off because if you want adult privileges, you have to show adult actions. Um, you don't have to be an adult or show adult actions, but if you want your phone, you do have to show it by eight o'clock. Um, anyway, so the environment or the culture is actually by far the most, in, uh, what's the word, effective way to promote change. And a culture that promotes an, an idea through actions of the group, everyone doing it, 
it causes change in individuals better than any individual teacher who's talking about a subject, any individual specific bribe when nobody else is doing it. Um, parents who force their kids to change doesn't work real well, especially if the parents aren't doing it as well and they're hypocrites. You know, parents who have the do as I say, not as I do approach, um, where we expect them to be on time, but we're never on time. But an environment that shows what success looks like is way, mo way more effective than any talk or coaching can, can do. So creating a safe but stretched environment requires us to know them, know their triggers, know how far they can be pushed without breaking. Um, every read will have its breaking point. We have to know their strengths so we can manage them and play on them. I think it's important before we influence someone to much extent that we build a really strong relationship of influence, which typically means way more positives than negatives in our interactions. It means they know already that we want to say yes whenever we can to them wanting something that's okay to have instead of just saying no all the time and being their adversarial, um, you know, little angel or devil on their shoulder. There, there's always that one parent that just feels like their job is to always put their child in check and always put them in their place and cut them down and be the hard nose and, and take that hit as a parent. They're not going to like me, but it's worth it because they'll know who's boss and they need to respect me more than they need to love me. And, you know, and they, they lose that relationship of influence. And that's not what I'm suggesting. At the same time, a marshmallow parent that is never willing to stand by boundaries or do what they need is not a good mentor. A mentor's job is to give them what they need, not what they want. Um, a couple of examples. Most of our students will never repel down cliffs after they leave Techie for Life. Most of them don't like it. They'll never take it up. They'll never say, hey, that was fun. I'm going to go do that a whole bunch more when I leave TFL. Now, there is one or two that have done that, and they've turned it into a, a great thing and become rock climbers and become social um, up on the university campus and, and they join clubs, but 90% or more will probably never choose to do it again unless they have to for some reason. That doesn't mean they don't get the benefit from having done it. They will always say, I will never repel after Techie for Life again. Why are you making me do it? And we'll say, we're not making you because if we make you, you're going to get hurt. Do it. We're not going to push them or force them into something. But if there's any way to get them to do something hard that we know they will feel accomplishment after, we will bribe, tease. But we have to know them. Some kids, if you tease them, they're going to shut down and be angry and you'll have lost a relationship. Other kids, if you know how to tease them right, they're like, fine, okay, I'll do it. You got me. And they smile and they join it. They don't do it because they're coerced. They do it because they're willing because of the relationship you have. And anyway, that's the art part. But when they do something they haven't done before, their brain does something new and their brain learns that they can do new hard things. And if you do enough new hard things, they learn that they can do new hard things. And that translates into doing new hard things after Techie for Life and during Techie for Life. Um, another example would be jet skiing. If they go on a jet ski, those things are powerful and fast right off the get-go. And a lot of them are scared of them because they are so powerful. We get them out on the water. We want them to try it for a minute. Um, several of them just let it scoot around 
in circles for five or six minutes and then they got off and that's the best they would do. Um, others I was able to get on the back with me and I would drive for a minute and then let them try and they still just went around in slow circles, never actually getting up to any speed. But others, more than I thought, learned that it was fun and a rush and it was an adrenaline rush way better than video games. And a lot of them were like, wow, I really liked it. I thought it was too scary. Now that I've done it, I want to do it some more. Um, and they liked the adrenaline. It ends up being worth it. And it feels safe because they're out in the water where they fall off and they, they're not going to die from falling off unless, you know, they hit another boat, which is why I'm on the back until I, I'm pretty confident they can keep driving. But if they do hard things and you taught them they could, they feel pride in themselves. They build a relationship with you. There's that camaraderie that when people do hard things together, they, they attach. And when they push themselves or they allow themselves to be pushed and succeed, which is the goal, their brains change and they grow and they develop. When they face fears and accomplish more than they thought, it's like that one-year-old child who looks up with such pride and joy because he just walked from the couch over to his mom. And he, was, he knew he did a hard thing and it just felt good. It's innate to develop. Um, the desire to develop is natural. Without development, depression sets in. And so I want to close with this thought. If as a parent, you are also afraid with your child that they could get hurt, that they could get damaged, the goal would be to create an environment where they don't get overwhelmed, but that it's okay that they're uncomfortable. Create an environment where they're out of their comfort zone, but not in crises. So that's what I've got for you today. Um, sometimes it's good to involve others and let their perspectives come in because as parents, we're a little too close. And I found that sometimes I would push my child too hard because I was more the tough love guy. Um, and then other times it would be my wife and I'd say, I think that's a little too hard and and let's, let's pull back a little bit. I think we're pushing him too hard and it's nice to have a partner. So talking to a counselor or friends or even, even your adult child and say, look, I love you so much that I'm not going to let you sit at home and waste your life. You're going to have to get out. The, the amount of adult children ages 19 to 30 living in their parents' homes right now, statistically, the only time that was higher in the last 150 years was during the Great Depression. There was the, We're at the same levels as during the Great Depression in the early thirties. And that's largely because of COVID, but also it's because kids are staying in school longer. Um, they're not driving as soon at a younger age. They're not dating. They're not getting married as young and they're staying home. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That might be just fine, especially for neurodiverse kids who are on a different timeline. Um, but I would just say, if you are guilty of erring on the side of too comfortable, maybe it's time to love them um, more than you are afraid. And then if you're the parent, that's such a hard knock, got to push them out of the nest, even if they're not ready, uh, look around and make sure that you recognize there are snakes down on the ground. They're going to eat up those baby birds and try to find the right time where they want to fly because you have created an environment that gives them the confidence and the resilience to make it. And that takes a lot of, um, faith 
and preparation and work and energy. And my hat goes off to you all for the courage you show in being neurodiverse if you're trying to make those changes or in being someone who loves a neurodiverse young adult or teenager that needs a little pushing. And even if they fight back and bite your head off and kick and scream and claw, if you know it's good for them, they're going to be okay. Just like you knew the one-year-old was going to be fine learning how to walk, even though the the one-year-old thought they were going to die. Thanks for joining, and we'll be back with you soon with another great topic. As usual, if you have an idea for a topic you would like us to address, something that's a big deal in your situation, please email us. Um, you can go to our website, jasondebbie.com, and submit a request there for a podcast topic. And we would love to hear from you. Any thoughts? Um, also, if you just have any comments or feedback for us on the podcast, you know, we don't ever get to hear from anybody. It's kind of like talking into an empty echo chamber. We we never really know who's listening. So feel free to email us and, and leave us your comments. Thanks and keep on mentoring. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com.